Taiwan reported more than 36,000 local COVID cases on Friday, a rise of 20 percent from Thursday. The CECC also reported 10 COVID-related deaths, a new high for this year. Seven of the deaths were people over the age of 80 who had a history of chronic illnesses. The youngest was an unvaccinated man in his 30s. Let's hear from the CECC. There is one case that I would like to expand on, that of the younger man in his 30s who died. He had previously had a stone in his urinary tract and lived alone at home. He was discovered unconscious in his residence and taken to the hospital for emergency care, but this was ineffective. He tested positive after being taken to the hospital. So the cause of death is listed as acute respiratory failure with a COVID infection. The cause of death is such because we found he was infected with COVID. But we don't know how he ended up being unconscious in his home. We don't have any immediate way of knowing. This man had not had any COVID vaccines. So far this year, more than 200,000 people have contracted COVID in Taiwan, resulting in 43 deaths in total. About 0.26% of all confirmed cases ended up developing moderate to severe symptoms. However, the ratio of moderate to severe cases jumps to 6.97% for people aged 80 and up and reaches 16% for those aged 90 and up. Starting May 12th, people who test positive on a rapid test at home will no longer be required to get a PCR test to confirm the result. Instead, they'll be able to get a diagnosis from a doctor via teleconference. The rule change is an attempt to lessen the burden on PCR test sites while allowing potential COVID patients to stay at home. But with technology at the center of the new system, some have raised concerns that older adults may not be able to take advantage of the new system. Vehicles just keep arriving at this drive through test site in Taipei just days after opening. Demand for tests is high as COVID numbers soar. To ease the burden on local PCR test sites, the CECC has announced new rules for people in home isolation, self-health management and home quarantine who test positive in a rapid test. They can contact local health agencies or use a mobile app to arrange a telemedicine appointment with a doctor and confirm the diagnosis without the need for a PCR test. The new rules will take effect on May 12th. There are a few circumstances under which the line on the test strip will be a little faint, to the point you can barely see it, and opinions may differ on the result. Under these circumstances, you can get a second person to check it, for example, some medical staff, to corroborate the results. After we made the announcement yesterday, medical workers have told us that people have inquired about how to determine whether a rapid test result is positive or whether leaving the test for a longer period will result in two lines showing up and so on. We will discuss these matters along with other relevant questions tomorrow morning and talk the details over with the Taiwan Medical Association. The CECC said it would discuss the remote diagnosis process in detail with doctors. Meanwhile, members of the public say the telemedicine diagnosis system could exclude older adults who may not know how to operate smartphones and computers. I don't really understand these things. 
how to start a video call with someone, how to go online. I think most people wouldn't know. I think many large hospitals are already offering telemedicine to relieve the burden on the medical system. To use the Ministry of Health and Welfare's app for remote consultations, users must first authenticate their phone number. Then you can access a dedicated section in the app for COVID diagnosis from home before filling in your personal information. You can then choose to make a teleappointment or get emergency medical assistance immediately. From there, you can upload text, photographs or audio recordings explaining your situation and your needs, and the system will assign you to a doctor. But if the number of positive rapid tests keeps going up, will there be enough doctors for everyone? We of course have to keep in mind the manpower for the remote diagnosis. But this is simpler compared with what we had. If there isn't enough manpower now, then there wouldn't have been enough in the old system. It's a simpler process. It still remains to be seen whether this new system will be effective and how the government will handle older adults who are not tech-savvy. It's been a week since the government launched a rationing system for rapid test kits, but long lines continue to form outside pharmacies. On Thursday, the CECC said pharmacies should sell rapid tests in three different time slots each day so that office workers can have more opportunities to buy a box. But some pharmacists say that the logistics of such an arrangement will be difficult. Standing or sitting on a stool, people are lining up for a numbered ticket showing their place in the queue for buying rapid tests. The pharmacy opens at 9.30am, but it's 8am and already the line stretches all the way down the alley. As people tend to buy test kits during different parts of the day, the CECC announced on Thursday that pharmacies taking part in the rationing program will sell kits at three designated times a day, in the morning, afternoon and evening. But officials did not provide details on how these timing arrangements would work or what changes this will bring to the rationing system. Farmers don't know what to do. The thing is that pharmacies won't really be able to sell rapid tests at three different times each day. For us, that would be extremely difficult, mission impossible. So we will ask pharmacies in the same general area to make arrangements among themselves so that some of them can start selling the tests in the morning and others in the afternoon. If there are people buying medicines, we attend to them first. We still have to take care of our regular operations. I like selling the rapid tests in the morning. Pharmacists say they already have other customers to attend to and that they can't devote their whole day to selling rapid tests. They say they hope the government will come up with a more complete set of guidelines to ensure the rations are distributed more smoothly. As COVID cases rise, online retail is getting yet another boost. One industry where adaptation is key is online groceries. Online supermarkets are rushing to pick up sudden spikes in orders, sometimes with limited fulfillment capacity. Other retailers are spending big bucks on new warehouses. A mountain of boxes piles up full of frozen fish and meat ready to be wheeled out of the freezer. The barcodes are scanned and items placed in the right box. 
This online supermarket has created its own goods checking system. It cuts labor 50% while increasing shipping efficiency 10 times. But with sales soaring as COVID cases climb, there's still just seconds to get each package wrapped and on the road. These employees are a well-trained team. Grabbing and scanning is as fast as possible to get the items boxed. When wrapping vegetables, employees also have to check them for freezer burn. When they're finally packaged, they get on the road. This retailer dispatches 10 vans a day on average, as well as 100 scooters to keep up with immense demand. Since the daily COVID cases went over 10,000, our daily sales have grown 30 to 40 percent. Most items are good for cooking during home isolation, such as sliced meats, chicken breasts and vegetables. This factory floor is 800 ping, with the majority of space taken up by the freezers. A dozen workers in thick clothes are busy preparing and checking orders. Right now, as far as frozen foods go, overall, online sales are probably only 10% or so, as opposed to offline sales. Demand keeps increasing for warehouse space and shipping capacity. In the future, it should easily be able to occupy 20%. This major retailer saw the potential for big shifts in consumer habits in 2021. It spent 20 million NT to expand online warehouse space by 400 ping. Now it splashed 100 million NT on a new factory of 3,000 ping. It's betting everything on a major shift toward online retail amid COVID-19. Minister Without Portfolio Audrey Tang has been a crucial figure in Taiwan's fight against COVID, from setting up nationwide mask rationing systems to improving a recently launched online COVID infection reporting system. The minister has her hand in most everything. Recently, she has started a side gig as the host of an English language video podcast with the first episode released on Friday. Titled Innovative Minds with Audrey Tang, the first episode of the podcast series is an hour-long interview with Steve Chen, the co-founder of YouTube. Moving forward, the podcast will include guests such as AIT director Sandra Odkirk and Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin. A visiting delegation of Japanese lawmakers on Friday held a press conference where they said Chinese air incursions and other provocations to Taiwan were also security concerns for Japan and that they would work to deepen bilateral ties. The group also voiced support for Taiwan's bid to join the CPTPP trade bloc. Only two members of the delegation were able to attend the event as a fellow delegation member recently tested positive for COVID. He greets the audience in fluent Mandarin. He's a member of a delegation from Japan's Liberal Democracy Party's Youth Division, which has been in Taiwan for four days already. On Friday, the delegates held a press conference with media. Only two members attended the event after a fellow representative tested positive for COVID. They praised Taiwan's COVID response and their warm reception from the people of Taiwan. Representative Daisuke Nishino tested positive in a PCR test. But we think he wasn't infected while in Taiwan. We think he got infected in Japan. 
but only showed up as a positive after coming to Taiwan. President Tsai Ing-wen sent us a welcome letter at the hotel, as well as bubble tea and pineapple cakes. We could feel the warmth of Taiwan. They were the best bubble tea and pineapple cakes I have ever tasted. The lawmaker thanked President Tsai for the delicious sweet treats. He added that the goal of the delegation was to deepen Japan-Taiwan exchanges at all levels, while supporting Taiwan's bid to join the comprehensive and progressive agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Speaking on cross-strait affairs, the lawmaker stressed that Taiwan was an important friend and neighbor to Japan, echoing former Japan Prime Minister Abe Shinzo's statement that a Taiwan emergency was also an emergency for Japan. China's warplane incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone have reached an unprecedented scale. Taiwan is an important neighbor and friend for us. So we are treating these Chinese provocations to Taiwan as if they were happening to us. We have a heightened sense of crisis. Coming to Taiwan this time, we have seen the alertness of the Taiwanese people concerning the current situation. After we return to Japan, we will discuss all of this, and we hope that it will result in stronger practical cooperation between Japan and Taiwan. And it's not just official exchanges between Taiwan and Japan. A group of politicians, businesses and scholars have announced plans to establish an Abe Shinzo Friendship Association in Taiwan. The first head of the association will be former Presidential Office Secretary General Mark Chen. People taking part in its organization include former Academia Sinica President Li Yuanzhe, former Judicial Yuan Deputy Head Zheng Zhongmo, Taipei 101 Chairman Zhang Shui-shun and former representative to Japan Luo Fuquan. All in all, about 50 prominent figures in politics, businesses and academia are involved in the plans. For now, they plan to get the former Japan PM to visit Taiwan in hopes of elevating the friendship between Taiwan and Japan to the next level. Japanese Prime Minister Kishida Fumio told a press conference in London that Japan continues to pay attention to peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. He added that any use of force to change the status quo in the Indo-Pacific, particularly East Asia, would be absolutely unacceptable. This is what he said. Regarding Taiwan, peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait is very important, not only for the security of Japan, but also for the security of the international community. We hope that issues relating to Taiwan can be resolved through peaceful dialogue. This has been our nation's position all along. We will proceed from this position and will continue to closely monitor the situation. Kishida also said there was a sense of crisis that today's Ukraine would be tomorrow's East Asia, saying that he had accordingly adjusted Japan's policies on Russia. He said that along with the Group of Seven, Japan has imposed sanctions on Russia to make it clear that Russia will pay a high price for its atrocities. Meta on Friday launched its first brick-and-mortar XR hub in Asia at an event attended by President Tsai Ing-wen and AIT Director Sandra Odkirk. 
The tech giant, formerly known as Facebook, is currently focused on building a metaverse, a network of virtual worlds. The hub, located in Taipei, will be responsible for researching extended reality in Taiwan. At the launch ceremony, the president promised to accelerate the government's digital development policies, voicing hope that Meta will continue to invest in Taiwan. Greeting the first virtual resident of the Metaverse, President Tsai Ing-wen and ART director Sandra Odkirk appeared in front of the cameras together. After Facebook's renaming to Meta, the tech company has been working hard to create a metaverse. On Friday, the firm launched its first Asian brick-and-mortar metaverse base in Taiwan. In the world of the metaverse, you can sit down with friends and watch movies or hold conferences with colleagues without going outside. Now, the technology of the metaverse can be applied to live performances, making the audience feel even more involved. I would like to thank Meta for choosing Taiwan to set up its first XR hub and affirming Taiwan's strengths and technologies. This new XR hub reminds us that the world and the Indo-Pacific region is more connected than ever. And it ensures the world that, that the world once again sees Taiwan's leadership in technology innovation and recognizes the strengths of the U.S.-Taiwan partnership. Meta was drawn to Taiwan's key role in the technology supply chain, which pushed it to make the investment here. President Tsai expressed hopes that Meta would continue to invest in the nation and Taiwan would become a base for global digital technologies. This year, the Executive Yuan will set up a new digital development agency to accelerate the promotion of our digital development policy. We will continue to work hard to establish an environment for even more comprehensive economic digital development and cultivate even more successful tech companies so that Taiwan can stand firm in its strategic position in global technology. Taiwan will continue to improve its scientific and technological strengths not only to raise its global profile, but also to develop key industries that can protect the country by making it indispensable in global tech supply chains. The Taiwan High-Speed Rail has carried out a tree planting event in Yingling in an effort to prevent soil erosion. The area will soon be planted with thousands of new trees that officials hope will beautify the area beside the HSR Railway. The trees are mostly species endemic to Taiwan. They'll also serve to offset carbon emissions. Taiwan High Speed Rail Chairman Jiang Yaozong leads 150 employees in a tree planting exercise here in Pushinduan in Yunlin, Shilo Township. The event was jointly produced with the Forestry Bureau. They chose this spot in Shilo for afforestation with Taiwan's endemic trees, hoping to do something to support the local ecosystem. We hope that planting trees and creating a woodland will be a way to care for the land here and our natural resources to make Taiwan more beautiful. 
That's our goal. They're planting native trees like the flame gold rain tree and silvery messerschmitt media. The plan is to plant at least 3,800 individual trees here. We can do a little more for Taiwan and help the HSR go further towards green and sustainable development. Everyone is keen to get with environmental protection and very happy to take part in this company event. Because we can do our bit. Because as an individual it's hard to have power. But here the company is bringing together the power of all the employees to work together. I think it's a great experience. The spot is not far from the coast and sits right next to the high-speed rail line. Experts hope that once the trees take root and mature, they'll prevent soil erosion by providing shelter from excessive winds and contribute to a green corridor that will make the area a more beautiful habitat for everyone. Bamboo weaving is a traditional craft long associated with Taiwan. Let's now meet two of the most prominent bamboo artists working today, husband and wife team Yang Shenghui and Zheng Shuhui. Both studied with late bamboo master Huang Tushan. They are maintaining the ancient weaving skills once used to make all kinds of everyday items. Each cut is placed with care and attention to detail. Bamboo weaving starts with splitting the raw bamboo. More than 20 years ago, husband and wife Yang Shenghui and Zheng Shuhui fell in love with bamboo crafts when Yang took part in a study on bamboo art. The best thing about bamboo weaving is how calm it is. It can be a kind of nourishment and cultivation for body and mind. This type of fine work can't be hurried. You must take it slowly, step by step. My teacher told me all the different things you can do in the mountains with a knife. And you can even give the waste materials back to nature, so it's kind to the earth. The artist trained with the late Huang Tu Shan, a bamboo art master and living national treasure. They cut the bamboo into strips of different thickness, some as fine as strands of hair. Many astonishing weaving techniques are used to turn the strips into furniture and other functional items. You have to cut the bamboo well. Our teacher, who is a living national treasure, taught us that the objects we make will always be beautiful if we cut the bamboo well. Since retirement, the couple have dedicated themselves wholeheartedly to bamboo crafts and education. They hope more young people will recognize the beauty of bamboo and join the field. With a bit of luck, perhaps the golden age of bamboo artistry is around the corner.